Amen. Uh, so if you want to just remember real quick, when we started chapter 8 there, we started to look at the trumpet judgments, and we looked at how the vegetation was struck, how the oceans were struck, how the fresh water was struck, and the heavens were struck. And uh, at the end of chapter 18, uh, verse 13, it said, Then the fourth, and then I looked up and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. And so the warning is given that what is coming is even worse than what has happened. And it's this continuous warning that the Lord is saying, you need to pay attention. You need to realize what is happening. Because when we come to chapter uh, 9, you see there the locust from the bottomless pit. And after the scripture there, there are three things I want you to just really quickly look at with me. There are three main issues in this first 12 verses. Who is the star who has fallen from heaven? Are the locusts representing demons or are they earthly normal locusts? And who is the king over the angel of the bottomless pit? I've been bringing these two commentaries with me each week because I've been telling you that they disagree. Right? This one will say that the fallen star is Satan. This one might say the fallen star is an obedient angel. It might say in this one that the locusts are representing of something like military warfare. And this one might say, no, it is a demonic army that is released from the pits of hell. This one might say that the king of the pit is the demon that influences the Antichrist, and yet this one says something different. And so what I wanted to do tonight is just to show you what the Bible says, and you can make up that decision for yourself. What you think it means. And why it means so much in this chapter is because if you would flip down and look in Revelation chapter 9, um, verse 21. The fifth trumpet is this uh, locust infestation. The, the sixth trumpet is another um, situation. But at the end of chapter 9, verse 21, it excuse me, verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which cannot neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or of their sorceries or of their sexual immoralities or their thieves. I believe the fifth trumpet is the last opportunity that people are being saved. When the sixth trumpet happens, those who are lost have hardened their heart to such a point that it says what? No one else is repenting. Even though we're going to look at how there are two witnesses that cannot be killed or when they do get killed, they're brought back to life. We're going to look at how there is going to be an angel um, declaring the gospel from the sky, but yet the hardness of their heart will have gotten to such a point that they have said it doesn't matter. We are not going to repent. So when we look at this fifth plague, 
I believe it will be a time of great salvation, that God is going to reach people, that people are going to be saved, because we're getting ready to see that very quickly that time has passed. That time has passed. And so, uh, just going through this tonight, verse by verse, and we've got a lot of Scripture tonight, but starting in verses 1 and 2, if you're taking notes, on that line, the question is, an obedient angel or Satan? Starting in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, to him who was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. The first opinion is that of an obedient angel. And what we see in the Bible when talking about angels or messengers or the word that can be used, if you remember in Revelation chapter 1 verse 20, It says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels or it can mean messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And if you remember that, we taught that it could be angels, it could be the pastor, uh, it could be the person bringing the message of the local church. In Job chapter 38, verses 6 and 7, it says, To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? When God was setting the foundation of everything, it's talking about the angels that were singing God's praises and glorifying God. So we know whether it is a fallen angel or whether it is an angel on assignment, that it is referring to an angel. This word here for fallen is used, I think, 48 times. And sometimes it's using it's used as have fallen. Sometimes it's using as being thrown. And so even the language itself is very difficult if you're going to make an opinion of has this star already fallen? Is John seeing it fall again? In Revelation chapter 20, some scholars believe the same angel that opens the bottomless pit are the same, is the same angel who is going to come down and bind Satan before the thousand years of the millennial kingdom. In Revelation chapter 20, starting in verses 1 through 4, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon of the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things we must, he must be released for a while. And so people who hold that this is an angel on assignment will say that this is God's way of bringing this great judgment onto the world. He is going to release the demons that are, that are held into captivity to influence and to be at work in the world. Those who hold that it's Satan, it is his final act of rebellion that God says, here it is, throw everything you have at me because it's still a hopeless cause. 
If you know in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus speaks of keys, not the same kind or the same ones, but yet can be a reference. And I am He who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And that word for Hades, as you see there, means the unseen realm. And so whatever that means, whatever that looks like, the purpose is for this influence of demons is to bring judgment onto the lost world and to cause them to, one, either believe or to harden their heart. And so it is a terrifying thing to look at. I mean, it is a terrifying thing because we're going to look here in just a moment that there are, the Bible teaches us, demons that are already at work in the world that we live. The Bible teaches us that there are already, and we look at it in chapter 12, demons that are at war with Michael and uh, the Lord's faithful angels. But yet, there are also angels that have been held under captivity. And what has happened here is, is God has said, this is going to happen. This is going to be unleashed upon the world in great judgment. Questions or thoughts before we... Look at those who believe it is Satan. Edward Henson is the uh, commentator on Revelation. He was the uh, one of the founding pastors, along with uh, Jerry Falwell at Liberty University. Max Anders, uh, the Holman New Testament commentary. Uh, is a leading professor at Mid-America, which is right across the street from Bellevue Baptist Church. And they actually go back and forth on different things. So one might agree with this here, one might agree with this here. So they're not even... You can't even split up which one's the obedient angel and Satan. Well, I think that they, they, they try to approach it as both ways. So in this one, uh, they view it as um, the obedient angel. I believe it is this one that views it as the fallen angel. So, MacArthur believes that it is Satan. And so he holds to the view that we're getting ready to look at. Uh, I listened to uh, <laughs> someone today as I was driving home at 3.30 in the morning from Pinckneyville, and, uh, and they held to uh, a view that it was an obedient angel. And so I think the... The verses on a fallen angel, if it is past tense, are overwhelmingly in favor that it's Satan. If it is he is being fallen now, it still could be that he's being sent. So I think it is a struggle either way. But I do think, though, that when you look at a fallen angel from heaven to earth, Satan, there's very much a, a amount of Scripture to show here. In Isaiah chapter 14... Starting in verses 12 through 15, the Bible says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who have weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall go down to Sheol, to the lowest pit depths of the pit. 
And so we see this in talking about Babylon and the leader of Babylon. But yet I think it's interesting here because he's referencing the pit. He is referencing the fact that Satan is going to be in that pit. The issue is, many scholars would say, well, Satan's already bound. Well, not according to what the Bible says, because the Bible says that he goes between heaven and earth and does what? Accuses the brethren. And so I get a kick out of that, and MacArthur made the statement kind of tongue-in-cheek. He's like, well, when people are praying that they're binding Satan from what he's doing in their life, he might be at the throne making an accusation. Or he might be in Rio de Janeiro, right? Because he's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. Satan is not God, right? He's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things, okay? And so I'm going to just show you some more of these verses to go along with that. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus talking about the fall of Satan. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like the lightning from heaven. Some Bible commentators, when you look at the chronological order of Revelation, be like feel like the fifth and sixth seal are what is happening on earth, but yet like chapters 11 and 12 is going on at the same time in heaven. And so some scholars look at Revelation chapter 12 and said this would be the instance where John is seeing Satan being thrown out of heaven. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 12. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So Satan has no longer got any access, alright? He cannot accuse the brethren. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. That would fit the narrative that Satan has been thrown out here during the tribulation period. He is now at work on the earth. He's not going back and forth. It goes on and says in verse 10 though, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame Him by the blood of the land and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you will dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. So there are three ways you can view that. One, that Satan was bound when Jesus ascended to heaven. And this is a whole literal uh, figurative book. You can view it as this might have been the halfway point of the tribulation period where everything gets extremely bad because now Satan is on the earth working. You could view this as somewhere in between that. Wherever you believe on that, it is the issue here that Satan is at work because he knows that his time is what? Short. And that is very important. Because whatever you believe about this, that is still the simple point. That Satan has always been what? A liar, a murderer, an accuser, a destroyer. And so it is so important for us to look at this and say that whatever we see here from this, 
The purpose is still the same. That God is bringing judgment. Alright? God is trying to continue to punish the wicked and save the lost. And that is what's going on. You say, well, if I believe in a pre-tribulation position, what does this matter to me? Because I believe there's going to be a whole bunch of people go into the tribulation who thought they were saved and were not. Alright? I believe there will be churches full of people who... Uh, we're not saved and wake up in the tribulation. You say, well, what if I believe that the rapture happens halfway through the tribulation? Well, what I believe is there are still going to be people saved. There's still going to be people saved throughout that period of time. And so to them, this is going to matter. Why? Because on the other end of that, we see from this passage of Scripture that they're going to be protected from this punishment. All right? It tells us that here in just a moment. But all of the other food shortages, all of the different things that are going to be happening, they're going to be living through it. And so they're going to need a word of encouragement. And that is what? That the time is short. Right? The time is short of their suffering. Questions about what we've looked at here? Mm-hmm. So before Genesis 1 1, there was nothing. He had been created after that, sometime during the mm-hmm. six days of creation. Then when did he fall? And so it was sometime between that point and Genesis 3. And I would say that God would put limitations that he would not have free reign to come into heaven unless it was at God's, you know, yeah. just. The book of Job is mm-hmm. an example of that. Yeah. Yeah, and we're actually going to look at that at the limitations that fallen angels have uh, to do what they do to us. Yes. But I mean, he, he didn't have this free reign of heaven. I mean, that was not his, his dwelling place anymore after, no. after the fall of the angels. No, but coming to the throne, apparently, if we read from Revelation, to make those accusations. Um, you know, like I said, depending on what your view of Revelation is, right, then he makes it very clear that he spends a lot of time there making accusations against those of us. And if you look at your own Christian life, there's a, a lot that Satan could accuse us of, right? Well, they're yours and they're doing that. You're, they're yours and they're saying that. And Because why? We all sin and fall short. And so he's definitely got plenty of ammunition to use to us. But I think that goes back to the point, though, that Satan imitates what God does, right? He can appear as an angel of light. We are not saved by our works, are we? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are imputed with His righteousness. And so I'm thankful that when He puts us in the palm of His hand, uh, that we can't be separated. Because if, if Satan knew how to point out the sins that would get us kicked... We would what? Be kicked. And so I'm very thankful well, for that. Best example of that with Peter's denial. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Amen. But, you know, the other thing is Satan is not omniscient, no. omnipresent, he's also not eternal. Exactly. He will be thrown into the lake of fire, but he was also yeah, created. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else? 
Okay, verses 3 through 10, there's a lot here, and I do not claim to have all the answers when it comes to things of demons and all of that stuff, okay? Uh, There's been a a bunch of terrible movies made about that kind of stuff. But starting in verse 3, we now get to see what happens when this bottomless pit is unleashed. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, if you remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples, you shall have uh, power over snakes and scorpions. They shall not hurt you. Um, Most conservative Bible scholars recognize that that wasn't to teach you to snake handle. It was a spiritual metaphor against demons and the attacks of Satan. So, But anyway, that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. In verse 4 it says, They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, I know there's no one in here old enough to remember this, all right? But in 1951 and 1952, if you've ever studied history, the Middle East had one of the worst locust infestations uh, in recorded history, right? They said there was nothing green left, all right? Uh, and so that's what locusts attack, not people. But yet here it says they're not allowed to attack anything green or any tree or any grass, only the men and women who are not sealed. In verse 5 it says, And they were not given authority to kill them. That's very important. But to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like a woman's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And their breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails." Their power has the their power has, was to hurt men for five months. So I want to just take us through what the Bible says about some of these demons that would be locked up in this abyss, or was, is it even real? In Second Peter chapter two, starting in verse four, it says, "For if God did not spare the angels who sinned." but cast them down to hell, or Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now some people say you cannot bind something that's spiritual. Well, whether it is a spiritual bind or whatever, the Bible speaks of it many times. Right? Revelation 20, Satan is to be changed. Right here in judgment. And did not spare the ancient world, But saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. 
and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So this passage starts with a reference to angels and finishes with a reference to angels. It starts with a reference to the angels of Noah's day. And now depending on what you believe, you can flip over to Genesis chapter 6. It's not in your packet tonight because uh, when I was in seminary, I had to write a paper on why it was considered the angels that fell had had relations with women. You had to write a position of it was just ungodly people who had uh, relations with women. And there was a third position, but I can't remember what it was at this point. And so the reference to this passage is in Genesis 6. It says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God can be a reference for angels. It can be a reference for many different things. Saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh, yet these days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children with them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown." Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So some would say that, well, these demons possessed these individuals just like you saw in the days of Jesus' life. They made people throw themselves into fire. They made people hurt themselves, cut themselves. That could be. We don't know all of the details, but what we see from Second Peter is that he references that these demons from the days of Noah are specially chained up. All right? It goes on and mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, well, what does that have to do with angels? Well, I'm glad that you asked in Genesis chapter 19. If you remember Genesis chapter 19, uh, two angels, it starts in verse 1, came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And if you remember how that story goes, they were going to stay in the courtyard. And Lot says, no, 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 no. You come in, stay with us. And it wasn't very long as you look uh, here in verse five, 6. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every corner surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Once again, the wickedness of leaving the natural order of things. 
Now we know that this is going to be very popular when this video goes out, that this is specifically tied to an angel and human relationship being unnatural. But it is also then tied to what relationship being unnatural? Homosexuality. So I want you to see the significance of this. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but never think that all sin has the same consequences. They don't. On an earthly standpoint, bringing the judgment of God onto a nation or onto a church or onto a family, it matters. And so he's tying these two together, that this unnatural use of whatever God has created, these are the ones who are in chains. And it goes on down here in the same passage of Scripture. And he, at verse 9 is the key in Second Peter, saying God knows how to deliver the godly, but He also knows how to punish the unjust. He knows what He's doing. Because in verse 11 it says, whereas angels... And then he references the fact that they are greater and more powerful in might than us, are very cautious in the accusation that they make. And so it's just this, this tying this together that these individual angels who were involved in this unnatural leash are bound in this pit, this abyss, for a future time. Questions? I know that was a lot. Yeah. So Matthew 22, mm -hmm. the Pharisees bringing a story to Jesus about the man... So Jesus makes the statement that when we're in heaven, we will be like the angels and not married or being given in marriage. Mm -hmm. So I mean, with angels, there's no procreation. Well, I think the struggle with that, though, is the question is: Is marriage, in that sense, talking about the covenant union, or is it talking about the physical union? Well, that's what you look in seminary. That's what they talk about. Because there's a covenant access so of Mary. Basically, we've got this third of the angels that's cast out. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. you know, it's a definite number. Yeah. It's so, not a growing number where like a population no. change. No. But that's... Angels yeah. are created mm -hmm. and boom. Yeah. That's all the angels are out. Yeah, but the, the, the issue is when it's talking about the... In chapter 6 there, it's talking about the offspring, right? It's talking about man and giant men and all that. I think that once again gets into an unlimited list of what it could mean. What, what did the rebellion do to the angels? And how did, how did sin affect them? And all, and all of that discussion. Um, for instance, right, God created us, one man, one woman, but yet sin has totally blew the barn door off, right? You know, and so uh, Mark and I were sitting at the hospital last night, and, and, and that was one of the things I said. I do not understand how anyone can take a child without their parents' consent and mutilate them from one gender to another. That doesn't even make sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense. And so, uh, but we also see in Jude chapter 1, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels and all that's going on there. In Jude chapter 1, which is only one chapter in Jude, starting in verse 5, 
But I want to remind you though, you once knew this, that the Lord's having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, He has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these. So what is he saying here, right? He's saying the fallen angels who left the proper domain. So is that heaven? Is that the natural use of the fact that angels are not to procreate, not to marry? We don't know for sure, but then in verse 7, what does he do? He ties what he just talked about to what? Sexual immorality. Going after strange flesh. And set forth an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So once again, he references this and this in the same section. Tying them together. And so it starts to lend this approach to, could that have been what was going on? Because it goes on in verse 8 and says... Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet, Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed over the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in the things that corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellions of Korah. And so we're talking about angels, we're talking about the fallen angels, and he's tying this in here together with what was going on at Sodom and Gomorrah. It goes on in 1 Peter chapter 3, once again, talking about this very same thing. But Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit, by whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison, whom formerly were disobedient. And that word for spirits can mean fallen angels, or angels in general, whom once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So here he talks about this and he references back to what? The things that were going on in the day of Noah. So you have to look at how these things are connected where they're connected at. And the question is, why would he do that? Why would that be necessary? One Bible commentary believes that we do not know how the demon world uh, communicates. We have no idea, all right? Uh, we, we don't know that. But maybe these demons, who knows? But whatever was necessary, he was to preach to them that he won, that he had overcome sin and death and the grave. And so, once again, I don't have all the answers. I'm not claiming to. I'm just trying to show you what the Bible says about these things, alright? Look what it says in Luke chapter 8, and then I'll take a breath, okay? Jesus answered him, talking about the demon-possessed man, alright, in Luke chapter 8. What is your name? And he said, 
legion, because many demons have entered him, and that they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. So not only were the angels that were involved in the rebellion, some of them are there, that apparently that Jesus could send them there in his ministry. Okay? So what that means is, I don't know. All right? But all of these demons that are in this place of captivity are going to be set free. Now, some people would say, what it says there in Jude, that some of them are in an everlasting chain. All right? And some of them are not going to get out to torment the world during this time. That's fine. Okay? Maybe the everlasting means they cannot break it, but God can let them out. He's going to have to let them out when they're thrown into the lake of fire. So, whatever it is, it is an awful time to be alive and to not know the Lord. Hence, why we see the, 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 the message that we are to preach the gospel to who? The whole world, right? The Great Commission is to go forth. So questions, thoughts, and I don't have all the answers. I, like I said, I just tried to find all the places that talked about this and dump it in your lap like the Lord did me. It's kind of hard to be literal when it's figurative. It's kind of hard to be literal when it's figurative. In which sense? Well, this is very figurative. This language in Revelation here. Well, it, to interpret it literally is very difficult. Well, I think that you have to be very careful not to take things that are supposed to be literal and say, and that's where the great debate over Revelation is, is how much is figurative, how much is literal. I'm going to lean more toward more of it is literal and then how God wants us to understand it like the smoke and Tarsus, which would have been familiar to them of the day, was John using that for them to understand, but yet the principles behind it should be interpreted figurative. Others are going to take it, it should be more figurative, less literal. And so depending on where you fit in that, it's kind of how you're going to read Revelation. That's why we've tried to be going back to what? Second Peter, right? Second Peter's talking right here about the unjust and the just. Jude's talking about the proper domain and then how it ties into Sodom. First Peter talks about what Jesus did. Uh, Luke is what Jesus could do, right? So that's why we're not just staying in Revelation. We're trying to go to everywhere else in the Scripture and say, what does it Say. So. And then there's also the tense. When, when did this happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both in Revelation and, and others. Because these other passages, you know, gone back to Noah a couple times, mm-hmm. this may have been something that's already taken place. In regards to. Well, even in Revelation as well. We could mm-hmm. tell what God, how God handled these, these uh, rebellious angels. In uh, what, what is the example? Well, no, I believe it hasn't because the locust has not been unleashed upon the world. Now, like the amillennialist position that's going to hold that it's, that it's already started, right? This t- I got a call. I'm just going to tell it anyway. I got a call a couple weeks ago, and it was a very nice. Yeah, I know. From a young man who wanted to talk about the Bible study. He was very nice, very kind, no, no issues, and he said... You know, I believe that we're in, that there's not a seven-year period. I believe that we're in all of this, that we're in the church age. And so I just happened to say, well, what do you believe the mark of the beast is then? 
if we're in this period of tribulation? And the response was, if you worship on Sunday, you have taken the mark of the beast. And, um, and so then I immediately knew the church that he attended, etc. But I had never heard that before. And, um, and so that's a, a scary thought for all of us who worship on Sunday, that we've taken the mark of the beast and we are not going to heaven. And it ties back into the Catholic Church and all of those things. I disagree with that, all right? I believe that the mark of the beast is something you're going to take in that seven-year period, but it was just a reminder of how big the spectrum is on the stuff that people believe and the way they believe it and, and why they believe it. And it was, it was all Scripture. He was going back to Exodus 33 about how the Lord never abolished the Sabbath and how we should be observing the Sabbath and how Jesus is our ultimate rest, but yet... And uh, it was a lot, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, but so I just want to remind you of that, that there is a constant barrage of what people believe, what they think, and so we do our best to explain it, to understand it, and trust the Lord with it. Kind of missed Revelation 1, though, that John was worshiping on the Lord's day. Yeah, yeah uh, it was, at that point, I was just trying to be a kind person. So, yeah. Yeah, but I want to point out two real quick things because we're out of time almost. When we see here the five months, if you look up the life cycle of a locust, it is between four and five months, between the egg state, uh, the hopper state, and the adult state. And so I think why I believe that this is to be looked at literally and figuratively is when the Lord gives these details, they line up. Right, He could have just said the locust is going to bother them for a certain amount of time. But he gave us the exact time that a locust lives. Why? Because I believe that these dates matter. I believe that as we end are getting closer to the end of the tribulation period and these things begin to get worse and they begin to get worse and they begin to get worse, it is just a reminder that God is pouring out His judgment, but He's also extending His mercy. Look there in the, we looked at no power to kill. And you remember in Job chapter 1 verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is your power. Only do not lay a hand on his what? Person. You can't kill him. You cannot take his life. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You say, well, Jake, who are the sealed in this passage of Scripture that cannot be tormented by these demons? Well, for sure, the 144,000. The Bible tells us that they are sealed. But also, it could be, could be, all of the believers that are living at this time. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so God knows that they are His. They have His seal. He could spare them of this judgment. But it all matters because that verse we read earlier in Revelation 9, verse 20. This plague, it doesn't say that. But in the next plague, in the end of this chapter, it says what? But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Okay, So we see how this is speeding up. 
how it affected nature, how it affected all of the things of this earth. Then we see how it caused torment for five... Only thing I can figure out is for five months, there are going to be people who are trying to take their own life. They're going to try to avoid this, but yet they can't. They, they can't. The Lord supernaturally says, there's no getting out of this. And that's as simple as I can read it there. It says, right, they want to die, they look to die, but yet they can't die. But yet the very next plague is, there is going to be death. But I want to show you this last thing and I'll be done. In verses 11 and 12, and we'll be done. This powerful demon, this king of the bottomless pit. It is either a powerful demon or Satan. Look at verse 11, it says, And they had a king over the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction. But in the Greek, he has the name Apollon, which means destroyer. One woe is past, behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. I think it's interesting, one, because again, God gives us this overwhelming picture, but yet gives us great specifics. In Proverbs chapter 30, talking about the little things on earth that have great power. You can read those there in verse 24, uh, and exceedingly wise. In verse 25, it's the ants. In uh, verse 26, it's the rock badgers. But in verse 27, it says, The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. But yet here he says they have a king. They have someone that is over them. We should not be surprised that just like the angels have a hierarchy, that the fallen angels have a hierarchy. Now, the problem in our culture is people have become obsessed with this. Right? You can find movies galore about demons and demon hunters and all of this stuff that is just crazy. All right? And so as Christians, we just kind of take our hands completely off of it and say, well, there's no, nothing, right? Our enemies just, is just chaos and they're not, not focused. No, Satan has a plan. Right? Satan knows how to accuse. He knows how to appear as the angel of light. Uh, his followers, right? He is a liar from the beginning. And so what we see here, though, is that whatever is going on here, it's not natural, it's supernatural. Now, in the next few verses we look at next week, a lot of Bible commentaries believe that this giant army is not the same locust. That it's an army of men, 200 million strong. Now, I know most of you are not old enough to remember this, but in the 70s, it was in Bible prophecy talked about a lot because China's army could muster up how many men? Does anyone remember this? 200 million. And so people thought when the Euphrates dries up here in this next uh, passage of Scripture that the Chinese army is going to march across and do the battle of Armageddon. Some view this as no, this is not a human army. It's a demonic army. And some say, well, all of these, these, these things that are mentioned here, the whistling of the ear are uh, grenade launchers or nerve gas, but yet, I don't believe that. I believe this is a supernatural army that has been released to accomplish the purpose of the Lord. Okay? Um, in Revelation chapter 11, some people say that this demon that oversees the demons that are in the pit is the same demon who will influence the Antichrist. 
in Revelation chapter 11, talking about the two witnesses, when they finish their testimony, the beast that extends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. I just believe that this, how whoever he is, is a demon of great authority, great power, and who is going to lead this rebellion against mankind. And so, I said all of that to say what I believe. I will quickly tell you which one of these I will believe in each one of these, alright? And you can then take it up with me later. One, I do believe that the fallen angel is Satan in the beginning, alright? I do believe that. The second one, I believe it is demons, not natural locusts. And then the third one, I believe it is just a powerful demon, not Satan. But I gave you both views on all of them, and you can enjoy to your heart's content. So, whew, questions? You're good. Absolutely. 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 Other questions, thoughts? Wow. All right, I guess I'm going to get you out five minutes early. So, and anything else?